I believe the finest hour of the church is ahead of us and that there's going to be great opportunities to do amazing things for the kingdom moving forward. So on the one hand, I do have warnings. I do have tough things that I talk about. But on the other hand, I have a, a real a message of inspiration, of hope, and I'm, I'm encouraging people that you were born for such a time as this. Welcome to the Charisma Connection. I'm Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. In our studio with us now, I have a guest. His name is Michael Snyder. You might know him because you've been reading his blog for years. I think he began writing in 2009 online. The name of his blog is the Economic Collapse Blog.com. Isn't that a great way to start the day? The Economic Collapse Blog.com. He also writes another blog, End of the American Dream.com. So he's in studio with us now. I'm so excited to interview him. So right off the bat, sir, welcome. We're glad you're here. I can't wait to hear more from you. Well, thank you. It's such an honor to be here. I love being in the Charisma offices. Everyone's been so wonderful and so great to meet all of you in person and then to sit down and talk with you today. Yes. And let's set one thing straight right from the beginning. You're a kingdom economist. You believe in the Lord and you're you're dead set that this is all God's doing, that what we're, where we're headed and what's happening is under the control of the Lord. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I, my wife and I are both very, very strong believers. At the heart of everything we do is the kingdom. It's about winning souls. It's about doing his work. And so I have a very large, if people are familiar with my work, I have a very large secular audience. But at the core, what we're about is the kingdom and, and doing his will. And so that's that's really what we're all about. While you're listening to this podcast, you might want to pull it up if you're in your home, uh, not driving, but you might want to pull up his website and, and take a look at it while we're talking with him, theeconomiccollapseblog.com. So just when I say that, I'm just, I have to ask this question. Are you negative about the economy? Do you, do you write negative stuff every day? Well, a lot of people think that because I do write about some challenging things, some hard things. I do believe that the United States is headed for very tough times economically and otherwise. But and so a lot of people think, well, Michael, you must you're you you must be all doom and gloom all the time. You must be down. You must be depressed. But that's actually not the case at all. My wife and I we seek to live in a constant state of shalom in our home, which is the Hebrew word for peace. And we actually believe that the greatest days of our lives, the greatest chapters of our lives are ahead of us. And so, yeah, on the one hand, I guess people could say, I do have some bad news because I do have some warnings. I, I do believe that some very troubling times in terms of the United States, eventually we're headed into the hardest economic times as a country that we've ever seen, I believe. But on the other hand, I believe that what we're heading into, we're going to see a great move of God, the yes. greatest harvest of souls we've, we've ever seen. I believe the finest hour of the church is ahead of us. Yes. And that there's going to be great opportunities to do amazing things for the kingdom moving forward. So on the one hand, I do have warnings. I do have tough things that I talk about. But on the other hand, 
I have a, a real a message of inspiration, of hope, and I'm, I'm encouraging people that you were born for such a time as this. Mm. And that is when times are the darkest, that's when the greatest heroes are needed. In fact, if you look back throughout history, when have the people that we really admire, the, the great heroes, the great leaders, when have they risen? It was when times were the darkest, during times of great crisis, during war, during tough times. And so I would encourage people to think about what their God-given destiny is as we move forward into what will be challenging times, but also great times. Well, the economist in me wants to ask you a specific question uh, about what you see next. What is the next clear sign of trouble that you think will probably, the next domino to fall in the economy? What are you looking for? Right. Well, uh, one thing I've been stressing with my readers lately is we're seeing so many of the patterns that we witnessed just before the financial crash of 2008. They're happening again right now in front of one, front of our eyes. One thing that I'm watching very, very closely is junk bonds, because often that's a leading indicator. Just before stocks crashed in 2008, we saw junk bonds really start to go down. And people hear junk bonds. I don't want them to be thrown off by that term. Junk bonds are basically uh, you know, uh, uh, high yield bonds. They're, they're a little bit more risky, so they have a little bit higher rate of return. Well, what happened is with these companies that are a little bit more risky, often you see when trouble starts to erupt, it'll be on the perimeter, on the edges with some of the firms that are a little more risky. You know, in the junk bond sector, you've got some more of these energy companies which have gotten into trouble because of the price of oil. And we can talk about that in a second, which is another indicator of trouble coming. But these junk bonds are starting to crash. And one that in terms of what one thing I look at very, very closely, there's a high yield bond ETF. Uh, that goes by the call letters JNK, but uh, it's very prominent. But ever since the last financial crisis, it was trading in a range from 36 to 42. And I was watching because I felt if it ever dipped below 35, that would be a red flag. That would be an indication that another financial crisis was imminent. Well, it it traded in this range ever since 2010, ever since the last crisis. But just last week, it dipped below 35 for the very first time. Then it kept plummeting. It went all the way below 34 until just yesterday it bounced back slightly. But that's a huge red flag to me. That's an indication that we've got trouble on the horizon. Another thing is the price of oil. Before the last crisis, we saw the price of oil. Uh, in 2008, went up to about $140 a barrel. Then it crashed dramatically to below $40 a barrel, below 38. And just here within the past few days, the price of oil, once again, we've seen dip below $38 a barrel for the very first time since the last financial crisis. You know, and a lot of People may think, well, that's good for me. I can fill up my vehicle with with gasoline. It doesn't cost me as much money, but it's hurting these energy companies, which have been responsible for producing so many good jobs, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of their debt is starting to go bad. Huge trouble. Also commodities. Right before the last crisis, commodity prices fell dramatically. And now, once again, we're seeing that happen again. The Bloomberg Commodity Index just hit a 16-year low. So, so many of these exact same patterns that we saw before, and I've just mentioned a few so far, are happening again, raising red flags, in my opinion. So we have a lot of listeners, and they have a lot of friends. What does it mean to the average person listening to this podcast and wanting to know more about so what? What does it mean to me? How's it going to impact me in the short run? Do I go buy food? Do I store up? What do I do in order to... Uh, take advantage of this knowledge that you're sharing with us. 
Yeah. Well, when a financial crisis comes, just remember what happened in 2008. All of a sudden, there was a credit crunch. Banks didn't want to lend to one another. Didn't want to, they tightened up on lending to anyone else. And so I believe we're headed into eventually another credit crunch, but it's going to be even worse. And so if you have a business or if you're employed somewhere, you're going to notice that all of a sudden people don't have as much money to spend. Not as many people are coming in. So just like 2008, the initial stages of what we're moving into, I believe we're going to see unemployment go up dramatically. And because we're at 5% now. Yeah, well, officially, that's the official number. Um, Is that underemployment, though? Yeah, it, you know, John Williams of ShadowStats.com, he says if the government was using honest numbers, it would be more than 22%, the real number. And if you look at the percentage of the population that's actually employed, the employment to population ratio, during the last recession, it fell dramatically from about 63% all the way to below 59%, to about 59%. And it stayed there very, very flat for quite a number of years. This year, it just peaked up just slightly, but we're still way, way below where we used to be in terms of the actual percentage of the population that's employed. So, but what they've done, they've, to, to get the unemployment rate to go down to 5%, they've just, what, they, what they've done is they've taken all these people that have been empl- unemployed for a really long period of time and they say, well, they've been un- unemployed so long, they don't count anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's not really... In terms of the unemployment rate, it, it's so far detached from reality. I don't know if it's really helpful. I prefer other measures there. But we are going to see unemployment increase again, I believe. And because most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, about 62% of all Americans, one survey found, then people all of a sudden aren't going to be able to pay the mortgage. And, and they're going to, just like last time, we're going to see so many people go from a middle-class lifestyle to being out on the street very, very rapidly. So one thing I encourage people to do is to have an emergency fund, have something to fall back on. I encourage people to have at least six-month emergency fund where they can pay their bills in case something happens. Because, you know, if you lose your job... That's good advice in any economy. It is. It is. Have something to fall back on. That's always Do they have six months to do it? Well, that's the hard thing. It's hard to build up a six-month emergency fund in six months. And I believe the crisis we're moving into is already starting to roll out in so many ways. But people just need to do the best that they can with what they have and leave the rest to God. That's part mm-hmm. of where it comes into kingdom finances. Because Maybe spend less money this holiday season. I, you know, I would encourage people to do that. Now is not the time to accumulate a whole lot of toys or to go into debt, but to be smart. And, to, you know, the, 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 word, the word of God tells us that the wise man sees the trouble that's coming and prepares. And that's one thing we can do. But a fool keeps going. Yes, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of some other things that my wife and I do more for the longer term, you know, we do, my wife and I do store up food and supplies. We don't think we're going to need them next week or next month even. But down the road, uh, we do believe in having uh, a supply of, of food and supplies at home, the things we would need in an emergency during a major crisis. Um, so that's something we do. Precious metals. A lot of people have questions about that. My wife and I do like gold and silver, particularly silver. Silver has been trading around $14 an ounce right now. Ridiculously undervalued. Hmm. I um, remember when it was five. Yeah. Not, not that long ago. And, and then it went up at, at one point into the, into the 40s. Right. And so it's fluctuated. But they're for a whole a bunch of different reasons. How do you buy silver? 
Well, we, we buy the physical silver. So mm-hmm. we buy the, the, the silver coins. There's the other ways to coins. do that. We buy the coins. We like the coins. But other people like other methods. Uh, I, You know, people ask me for a recommendation. I prefer them to actually take physical possession mm-hmm. of the precious metals. But there are other approaches as well. But in the mid to longer term, that's a way to protect your wealth, you know, and when currencies are going to be in flux. And ultimately, I believe the U.S. dollar will be in trouble. We're visiting with Michael Snyder. He's the author of the economiccollapseblog.com and also endoftheamericandream.com. Just after this word from our sponsor, we'll be back. And I want to ask Michael about the increase in interest rates yesterday and the impact of that, what it means to him and what it means to you and I. Just after this word from our sponsor. The Seven Seals of the Apocalypse is a great new book, particularly designed for beginners trying to understand end-time prophecy and what it's all about in Revelations. It's written by Larry Ulrich, who we really appreciate sponsoring this podcast. Benefit from reading The Seven Seals of the Apocalypse. It'll give you insight into God's grace and His wrath. It'll enable you to identify sound doctrine. It'll give you hope as a believer and motivate you to share the gospel. Go to Amazon Books today. Look for The Seven Seals of the Apocalypse, written by Larry Ulrich. Once again, Amazon Books, for The Seven Seals of the Apocalypse by Larry Ulrich. And thank you for sponsoring this podcast. We're back with Michael Snyder, and I promised you just before the break that we'd ask for his opinion on the increase just yesterday in the interest rate. So how do you read that, and what does it mean to you? Well, with interest rates going up, that's going to increase borrowing costs across the economy. And typically when, when that happens, because everything we do is fueled on credit, when we buy a home, when we buy a car, when we go to school, our credit cards, it's all our, our economy is fueled by debt and credit. So when interest rates are lower, that tends to make it easier and less expensive for people to borrow money, to buy things. So when interest rates go up, that tends to have a slowing effect on the economy. And so, so many signs of a potential recession coming or globally already started, people are questioning the wisdom of the Federal Reserve on that. And then in general, financial markets tend to do better when interest rates are lower, when interest rates start to rise. But we're still low. I mean, this is historical lows. Yeah. But I've read that an eighth of a percent increase in mortgage rates can lead to as much as several hundred dollar increase in, in payments. Yes. And a mortgage payment, and then when we've got adjustable rate arms, we've got adjustable mortgages, that's what we saw in the last collapse, that their folks couldn't keep up with their mortgages because the rates went so high. Yeah. Is that another cycle? Are we going to see it again? I, I believe so. And so this, the, you know, the rates haven't been raised that much, but it will make it, you know, more difficult on people who are getting new mortgages, who have mortgages that are going to reset or credit card rates or, you know, it's going to filter throughout the whole economy. So it's going to impact people, not dramatically, but we're moving in a certain direction. And then it, it you know, it's a sign to the financial markets that kind of the the, the era of easy money, you know, we had the quant- era of quantitative easing, we had the era of super low interest rates, that now we're shifting in a new direction. And now, initially... The financial era, market responded positively yesterday. Yeah. Wall Street loved it. I know, which which Why? astounded me that yeah. it doesn't seem to make any rational sense because mm-hmm. it really it's a signal to the markets that things are shifting. And so a, a rational response would have been for the markets to go down, but it's a good thing that they're staying high for right now. Well, usually economists, when something like this happens, they say it's a market correction. When they have no other explanation, they just call it a correction. Is that what's happening? Is it correcting up? Are we too low? Is the, is the market undervalued? 
No, in terms of if you look at historical average of price to earnings ratios and, and the Buffett indicator and all these other things, when you look at historically where stocks are right now, in order to come back to historical averages, for example, the cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio, Robert Schiller of Yale University, he's helped uh, develop this, done a great job of it, but he's shown that from where stocks are now, to just to get back to the historical average where stock values actually make sense, the market's got to come down about 40% just to get to average. So and, how, how is it so overinflated? Well, I, I think we've had a tremendous amount of speculation. Another thing that we've seen is a big player, and this has been uh, big corporations buying back their own stock. Mm-hmm. They've been, And a lot of them have been going into debt to do this. They've been borrowing money to buy back their own stocks. And investors like it because their stock prices rise, and so they feel like they're they're winning. And then corporate executives like to do it because if the stock price goes up, it looks like they're doing a good job and their stock options become more valuable, things of that nature. So in recent years, there's been a huge trend of big corporations pouring huge amounts of money into the stock market to buy back their own stock. Um, so that's – but now – Conditions, credit conditions on these big corporations are tightening. Banks, you know, uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, with the junk bonds and everything else. And, 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 you know, so things are shifting in that regard. So there's been all these factors. There's been this irrational euphoria. But eventually, as we've seen throughout history, things always start to come back to the mean, to the average. And it's not just the, the price to earnings ratios, the Buffett indicator in terms of the size of the stock market to the overall economy. It's one of Warren, but they call it the Buffett indicator because Warren Buffett loves this indicator so much. But according to that, in terms of the size of the stock market to the overall economy, in order for that to adjust back to just the average, it's got to come down about 30 or 40 percent. So at some that point, that would be devastating. It would be devastating. It would wipe people out. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're, you know, and people are going to get wiped out in this next collapse. In fact, there are already a couple of, of uh, funds that were focused on junk bonds, which had basically, they said, okay, we're stopping all withdrawals. People can't get their money out. And when investors finally do get their money out of those funds, they might be lucky by the time it's all said and done to get pennies on the dollar. And, and, and so we are approaching this, this, this major adjustment in the, in the financial markets, which I believe will be down dramatically. A lot of people are going to get hurt and wiped out, just like the last crisis. And yet the mainstream media, they're saying everything's fine, everything's good. Uh, we don't have anything to worry about. We've and got an election going on, so they're going to be a little more positive for the Democrats, I would guess, yes. to make sure they get reelected. And that's an editorial opinion. But at the same time, we're hearing no gloom and doom from the prognosticators and uh, our our talking heads on Sunday mornings are not speaking of this. We know it. My newsletters, I'm reading about corporate bonds being in serious trouble, yes. both in the oil industry as well as corporate lending. Yes. You know, the bonds that, that we've, we've bought in order to help small companies, and they're not doing well. And then we're going to see a great season of uh, student loan defaults and the bonds that are backing many of those. So I guess the, the begging question is how long is this one going to last and uh, do we see a way out of it that could we prevent any of this? Yeah, unfortunately, I believe we're so close to the storm. I don't believe it's going to be prevented. In fact, around the world, it's already started. If you look at the 93 largest uh, stock market stock market indexes in the entire world, 47 of them 
are coming into December, we're already down, not just down, but down at least 10% year to date. And some of them are down 30 or 40% around the world. And so already around the world, we're starting to see this global financial crisis. According to the biggest bank in the Western world, HSBC, they say total global trade is down 8.4% for the year so, so far. We never see that outside of recession. And on a dollarized basis, converting all economic activity around the world into U.S. dollars, global economic activity is down 3.4% worldwide so far this year. But our GDP is growing, correct? Well, here in the U.S., they say it's slightly growing for the moment, although sometimes we don't know what's happening in the present till we get information later. For example, lagging data. Yeah. In 2008, in the middle of 2008, they asked Ben Bernanke, uh, are we going to have a recession? And in the middle of 2008, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke said, no, we're not going to have a recession. Everything's fine. But when he said that, we found out later when we got the data, we were already in a recession when he made that statement. And why wouldn't the chairman of the Fed know that? He's got to have more far-reaching data. And that's a question I want to ask you again when we get back from this uh, word from our sponsor. I want to talk to you about why economists are missing this, uh, particularly government economists, and what our legislature is looking at. What can we do? Probably nothing, but I want to hear you speak about uh, our national leader awareness of what's happening just after this word from our sponsor surviving in the storm by bruce brummett is a book written by a u.s marine where he learned warfare and how to survive in all sorts of circumstances in this great book surviving in the storm bruce served as a missionary and survived a storm of government tyranny and oppression you can only imagine what that must have been like for this marine Learn how Bibles were smuggled into communist China. Listen as Bruce tells you about how he preached in underground churches behind the communist Iron Curtain. Perhaps you might learn how to survive in your own spiritual warfare. Look for spiritual triumph in this book, which will help you live and minister right in the midst of your storm and in the storm of increasingly repressive hostility toward the church. If you're concerned about America's future, and the rise of overreaching government oppression. Surviving in the storm is sure to help you in your faith and cause you to rise up and trust in the Lord. For free shipping, visit the website to purchase this book at brucerummett.com. brucerummett.com and the great book, Surviving in the Storm. Now back to our podcast. We're back with Michael Snyder. He's the author of the economiccollapseblog.com and as well the end of the American Dream.com, a different blog and one that you should absolutely pull up and keep an eye on it. Read these blogs every day. He writes five days a week, and I believe you'll find something interesting in each one of them. So I want to come back to a question I promised our listeners you'd answer. It is what it is. We can see it. You can see it. Why are government economists, why are the leader economists not reacting and responding to what we're seeing? I wish they would. We're, the, our leader, particularly in Washington, D.C., they're just conducting business as usual and making our long-term problems even worse. For example, you go back before the last crisis, our national debt was about $9 trillion. Today, it's $18 trillion. So we've about doubled the amount of national debt since the last time around. Or last time around, we had the crisis. They said, we're going to fix the problem of too big to fail, right? They told us, they promised us that. Well, since that time, the last crisis, the too big to fail banks, I'm talking about banks like J.P. 
Morgan Chase, uh, Citibank, uh, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America. Collectively, they've gotten 40% larger since the last crisis. Meanwhile, 1,400 smaller banks have totally gone out of uh, existence. So the problem of too big to fail is now bigger than ever. Meanwhile, these big banks have become more reckless than ever with derivatives. Five of the too big to fail banks have exposure to derivatives in excess of $30 trillion each. And, and meanwhile, they don't have assets anywhere in that neighborhood. The biggest one, J.P. Morgan Chase, has assets of about $2.6 trillion. Mm-hmm. So these big banks are tremendously exposed to derivatives. To the, the, They've been exceedingly reckless in terms of the, their behavior. They didn't learn their lesson from the last time. Mm-hmm. And so none of the warnings that, that people were issuing were heeded. None of the problems were fixed. Instead, they just patched together the system, went about with business as usual. Our long-term problems became even worse. And now the next crisis is is upon us, in my opinion. So I don't think there's going to be a solution at the national level, at least in the short term. That's why I'm encouraging people to focus on an uh, individual, a family, a community level, get ready to weather the coming storm, uh, use wisdom and discernment to try to position yourself well and above everything else. I mean, as individuals, there's only so much we can do. But my wife and I, we believe that we can do what we can with what we have and leave the rest to God. Okay, and that's a really good segue to how I want to end this interview with you, sir. I'd, I'd like to talk, first of all, about some pure, simple, personal financial steps that the average listener could take right now in the, this, as we begin 2016. What can we do to help build a hedge? A, a hedge not very strong. How about a wall? Yeah. Well, the the number one thing I mentioned earlier is to have that emergency fund. You are going to need cash to pay your bills, to pay the mortgage, to put food on the table. So that's before anything else. That's one of the number one things that I recommend. Number two, you want to look at at your investments. If you have investments, now is the time to consider, okay, we've, we've seen the peak of the market. We've seen things go up to tremendously high levels. Now, do you want to, because you only make money in the market once you get out. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the heights, but then you it stay in there until it completely falls apart, you're not going to make any money. Are you recommending money. a sell strategy then? Well, I, everybody needs to prayerfully consider what God would have them do individually, because what God would have one person do is not necessarily what I'll have someone else do. Now, my wife and I, if the stock market falls, we're not going to lose a penny. If bonds fall apart, we're not going to lose a penny. Um, so can, if, if you look at the, at the long-term trends in terms of the long-term valuations, and, and, and especially against historical data, it's obvious an adjustment is going to take place at some point. Um, but, and so everybody needs to prayerfully consider financially how to protect themselves, how to be wise in this time. My wife and I are a big believer in not putting all of our eggs in one basket. Some people, they want to put everything, um, um, they want to put everything into gold or put everything over here. I believe diversifying, uh, and, and even not even having all of your money in one bank. My wife and I have money in multiple banks, multiple places invested multiple ways, and so that if there is a d- danger in one particular area or one particular bank you've got issues with for a while, that at least you're not totally wiped out mm-hmm. if, you, if you have things spread around quite okay. a bit. Well, let's end the podcast then, and just uh, we're, we're not under any time pressure, but let's end with some spiritual insight that how do we respond as kingdom people? 
yes. knowing what we see coming. But God's given us this information to use, not to scare us, not to make us wring our hands or to be anxious. We're told to be anxious for nothing. So how do I proceed from this podcast without anxiety? Yeah, and God has told us not to have fear. You know, perfect love casts out fear. And ultimately, we need to realize that our provision doesn't come from the world system. Our provision comes from uh, our Father, um, and that everything we have is from Him, and that we rely on Him for every breath, every step. And so we need to trust Him realizing that the world system is crumbling, it's failing, it's, it's starting to shake, but that's not what our hope is in. So we need to uh, trust God, seek him in, and be in prayer about what to do about and seek his wisdom, how to proceed moving forward, but then also uh, realize there's going to be opportunities to help people, not only positioning ourselves to take care of ourselves and our families, but there might be people that we know who lose a job, who need some assistance. Some people, family, friends, that's been my wife and I's philosophy has always been that we're going to be there when our family and friends need, are hurting, need help. And so we're not just preparing for ourselves, but for them as well. Um, and then looking forward, now's not a time to relax, but if you've got a job and you feel like especially if it may be somewhat vulnerable, start up a side business in your free time. You know, have something, if you lose your job, you've got something to fall back on. Start a garden, learn how to grow a garden. So if prices go up on food in the grocery store, uh, particularly fruits and vegetables are so expensive, then yeah, you're growing some of your own. Anything you can do to become more independent of the system is a good thing. And ultimately, our real dependence is on God. Do you have any last words for our listeners before we sign off? Oh, I appreciate you having me on today. I love right. the Charisma audience. I'm a spirit-filled believer myself, and so I, you know, it's it's been so great to be with you all today, and I encourage people to check out the website, theeconomiccollapseblog.com, and, and uh, if people have any questions about any of this, they can feel free to write me. I answer my own email, so uh, you know I'd be glad to answer any specific questions that anyone may have. That's great. To our Charisma audience, you've been listening to Michael Snyder. He's the author of the EconomicCollapseBlog.com. And also, please check out his EndoftheAmericanDream.com. It's another great blog. Michael, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to the Charisma Podcast Network. This is the Charisma Connection. I'm Steve Green. God bless you. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible. Music